America is a consumer society, of course. We are all consumers, and how we go about it matters to the economy. Elizabeth Honka teaches about how we consume at the UCLA Anderson School of Management, where she's an assistant professor. Her specialty is consumer search. We'll hear more about how that works. She'll also tell us about what we all experience but don't always recognize, consumer fatigue. It can result in leaving a lot of money on the table. Hello again, I'm Orrin Alney with UCLA Anderson's podcast, How the World Works, and I'm delighted to welcome Professor Elizabeth Honka. Hi, good to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Let's start out by uh, describing how you got interested in all of this when you were buying your first car. That's right. So I bought my first car and I had to go through the whole process of buying car insurance for the very first time. And as all consumers know, when you want to buy car insurance, you have to request price quotes from multiple companies, hopefully, and they tell you exactly the price that you're going to pay. And then you just pick one insurance company and buy the policy from that company. So I went through this whole process and realized that it's actually quite costly for consumers to do so. You know, it takes time to contact all these insurance companies. You have to find all of the necessary documentation. And let's be honest, sometimes, you know, we just don't want to call up an agent and talk to them or do this form completion online. So that all got me started and interested in the area of consumer search and how costly it is for consumers to gather information. And that's, you know, what my research has been on since then. So what do you mean by cost? Elaborate on that. So cost here, what I mean by that is really uh, these time cost, these mental cost that consumers incur when they are gathering information about products prior to purchase. So, you know, in the example I was just talking about, it was gathering all the necessary documents and contacting the insurance agents to get the price quotes. But, you know, if we are thinking of uh, buying a digital camera, let's say, it might be going and looking at different review sites, going to different websites that sell digital cameras, reading reviews, and finding all the necessary information that we want to have before making a purchase decision. Well, is it worth it? Do you get a better deal the more you search? Yes. So uh, you get a better deal that might be either in terms of saving money. So going back to the example of auto insurance, you know, you might find a policy that has the same coverage, but is less expensive. Or it might be worth in terms of finding a product that better suits your specific needs. So how do you balance it out? How do you know when it's worth doing the search? And when it's not, or is there any way to do that? Well, one would think that, you know, consumers have an understanding of what is best for them or how much search is best for them and when the marginal benefit basically of searching is uh, smaller than the cost that they are incurring. And these costs might be the annoyance costs or the fatigue costs, the time costs. But at some point, the consumer has gathered so 
much information that, you know, there's not much more that she wants to know before making the purchase decision. So it's really a weighing of the costs and the benefits of information gathering. Let me ask you to uh, tell us about the study you did in Texas, where you were able to use smartphones and uh, by virtue of that, see when people were in fact shopping for cars in particular. And then you were able to go to the Texas Department of Motor Vehicles, one of the few in the country that would allow you to do this, and find out uh, which of those people had actually bought a car and which ones hadn't. What did you learn from that? We learned a few things. One of the questions that we were interested in studying here is, for example, what benefit do dealerships provide to consumers nowadays? Think back 20 years ago, the internet was in its infancy and there was just not so much information to be found online. So if you wanted to buy a new car, you actually had to go and visit a dealership, uh, get some pamphlets, talk to the salespeople to learn about the available cars. Nowadays, when you want to buy a new car, you can go to the car manufacturer's website you could go to Consumer Reports, you can go to Edmunds, Blue Book Cars, and lots of other websites to learn about car and to narrow down which car you're interested in. So the question comes up, you know, how much benefits do consumers gain from dealerships? Or why do we not just all, you know, buy our cars online like we buy our diapers and toilet paper? And so we wanted to quantify these benefits. And what we found is that despite all of this information that is to be found online about cars, dealerships still provide a lot of benefits because consumers want to know how it is to sit in the car, whether the seats are comfortable, whether the trunk is big enough, whether it is flat or whether it is not, how they can see through the uh, window shield, etc. So there are a lot of intangible benefits that are hard to quantify and therefore hard to communicate online. And these are the benefits and the characteristics that consumers want to learn about when they are going to car dealerships and test driving cars. So one of the things you learned about then was the distance between the consumer and the dealership. And in Texas, uh, with regard to American cars as opposed to uh, Asian-made cars, there was a big difference. Yes, in Texas, there are more dealerships from American car manufacturers than Asian car manufacturers. And so one of the things that we found is that if Asian car manufacturers could add more car dealerships or if the travel cost could be decreased for a car buyers, these are the companies that would profit the most. But that is not driven by any preference for Asian car manufacturers or any dislike of American car manufacturers. It is just driven by the dealership network and it be being less dense for Asian manufacturers right now in Texas than for American car brands. I understand, too, that uh, the Asian car manufacturers, because of the distance factor, did offer at-home test driving. So did they bring the car to potential buyers uh, and let them drive it? 
Yes, so that is one type of a program um, that they introduced. And so you would just call up a dealership and say, you know, I would like to test drive a Hyundai Elantra, but I do not want to come to your dealership. It's 30 or 40 miles away from me. Can you bring the car to me? And then I'm just going to take it around the block and um, look at it here from my home. Is this something that a consumer can demand, uh, even of a dealership that's relatively close? Are they willing to do that? Can you say, wait a minute, I don't want to come in. I don't want to go through all that process. Bring it out here and let me drive it. I want to know what it's like. Yes, of course. I think, you know, consumer can always call up a dealership and ask whether they are willing to do that. You know, what is the worst thing that can happen? It's that they say no, but most likely you know, the car dealer would like to sell a car to this potential customer. And so they are going to try to accommodate these wishes as much as they can. Uh, you also talk and have done research on what you refer to as consumer fatigue uh, and what that means in terms of breaks from the search process, the uh, pauses that refresh, if you will. Uh, tell us about consumer fatigue, what its role is, and whether it actually discourages people from buying. So as you were pointing out, it's really taking breaks to refresh. So imagine you wanted to buy a new shirt or new pair of pants. You've been looking at different websites and every website has 30, 40, 50 different pairs of pants. And you look at the colors, the cuts, the sizes, etc. At some point, you know, this is a very tiring process. It's mentally tiring. It's time consuming. So what we observe is that consumers take breaks. They basically, you know, will go to one website and look at the products at the pants on that website on one day and then take one, two, three days break and then go and look at a different website and look at the product assortment there. Now, what we do find is that taking breaks and coming back and resuming the product search later is not necessarily an indicator that the consumer is not seriously interested in buying pants or digital cameras or a different type of product. In contrast, actually consumers who come back after a search are more likely to make the purchase. So when these breaks occur, the manufacturers begin to get nervous when people go away. And here comes the question of cookies. Tell us about how the cookies work. So cookies basically track what you are doing online and all websites can buy this information and they also track it themselves. And so when you search, let's come back to the example of pants, what you will observe right afterwards and during the next days that whenever you visit any other website that is not related at all to your pants search, you will see display ads from different brands advertising pants to you. This is a practice that we call retargeting where brands try to show you ads of products that you've previously searched. And the goal is just to entice you to resume your search and to hopefully make a purchase. 
Now, this can be very annoying. <laughs> I know I've had the experience of looking at something. You mentioned pants. Yes. I've looked at a pair of pants and I didn't want anything to do with them whatsoever. Uh, and yet days later, I'm still getting advertisements for those pants. Uh, at what point does that become uh, not advantageous anymore for the dealer that's doing the advertising? So there is definitely an annoyance factor, especially if, if these retargeted ads happen over a longer time period. However, there's been some research done on this and shown that these retargeting ads are mostly effective during the first week for about one week after you've made your search for a car or pants. And then they taper down. And so brands know that this is kind of the time window when their ads are effective. So you can hope that after one week, you will not see any ads for pants anymore. Uh, you can only hope, though. We began talking about automobile insurance. One of the things that you've said to me is that when it comes to financial product or potential purchasers aren't very smart about it. Yes, uh, that's one of the reasons why I've become interested in this area of research about information costs. So what we observe is that consumers, when it comes to buying auto insurance or getting a mortgage for a car, they don't talk to many companies, to many lenders, and they leave substantial amounts of money on the table. And what I mean by that is that if they had gotten a second, a third, a fourth price quote for auto insurance, they could have saved $200, $300, $400 on their six months policy. There's been research done by some academics in Canada showing that if uh, home buyers had gotten a second mortgage quote, they could have saved about $2,000. So these are big amounts of money that consumers leave on the table. And so the question is, why does this happen? Why do you think it does? Well, I think it's probably a combination of two things. The first is that the cost of gathering information are very high for consumers. It's partially the time cost, but I think the type of cost that is even more important in this context are annoyance cost or psychological cost. We all don't like to go through the whole process of having to gather all of this necessary information, look through all of the documents, complete the application forms, etc. So consumers hate this process and that's why their costs are very high and they only get one price quote or one mortgage quote. On the other hand, another explanation is that consumers are simply unaware of the potential benefits of saving, meaning that they do not know that they could save $300 on their car insurance policy if they had gotten a second and a third quote. They might just think that they might potentially save $20, $50. So for them, it appears that it's not worth it to engage in more information search to get more price quotes. So that's a second explanation of why we see the pattern that we see in the marketplace. 
So to go back to an earlier question then, even if you have to read the fine print, it still might well be worth it to continue to shop whatever the fatigue factor might be. Yes, I agree with you in principle. I would say maybe not shop endlessly. There are definitely decreasing benefits to information gathering. But if I can get uh, people to, you know, at least get three quotes uh, through the research and through talking to you today, I think that they would really have financial benefits from doing so. Now, the Internet's been around for a long time, long enough to make a big difference. The Internet has definitely dramatically changed consumption patterns and purchase patterns. And we've seen that even more during uh, the last 15 months of the COVID-19 pandemic, which has accelerated this transition even more, that consumers make many more purchases online, even for products where maybe 10 years ago, we would have thought that consumers are not going to buy them online. So things like shoes or clothes, where you want to try them on and see whether and how they fit you. But companies have worked very hard to make returns as easy as possible to convince consumers to even buy such products online. On the other hand, we also see the opposite trends. Um, There are companies like Warby Parker, for example, or Bonobos, which have started completely online, only selling the products online, but have realized that consumers do still want to experience their products, try them on, see them in a store. So these companies have actually opened showrooms where they don't sell their products, but consumers can try them on to see whether they like them or not. Let's go back to the very beginning and your original search for auto insurance and how that got you interested in this whole topic. What's your motivation in this regard and uh, why do you think it's important and who's it helping when you uh, are able to come up with the kind of information that we've heard today? Well, making financial decisions has tremendous impact on consumer wealth, both in the short and in the long run. And we know that consumers, unfortunately, often make bad decisions. And so there's a whole field of behavioral economics that is trying to nudge consumers to make better decisions that are actually in their long-term financial interest. And that's also kind of part of the motivation for my work in that I wanted to bring more awareness and more knowledge to how consumers make decisions in the financial area and why they behave the way that they behave and how can we improve their decision making. So that spreads from, you know, buying auto insurance over opening your bank accounts over why do consumers not save more for retirement why if consumers put money into the stock market, they buy funds with higher fees versus lower fees, and what can be done to improve consumers' decision-making. So I think in the long run, these are really important areas that I wanted to contribute a little bit to make consumers better off. So you're more interested in the consumers than you are in the producers. 
I think I'm interested in both, but I think it's puzzling why consumers leave so much money on the table. And I think it's a pity why it's happening. And the question again is why, you know, do consumers simply not know how much money they could be saving, how much they could be better off in the long run, or do they have such high cost? Why do they behave the way that they do? And on the other hand, what can companies do to improve the situation. All right. Once again, we are all consumers. And as I said at the outset, you're going to be interested in what you hear from Elizabeth Honka. It has been very informative. And Professor, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. This is How the World Works from UCLA Anderson.